Praise God. Well, an unusual twist. I want to talk to you about the Antichrist today. <laughs> I say that because all of you who know me know this, how I feel about this subject. I've only been in Christ for, I think, 33 years old in Christ this year or something like that. I, I forget my spiritual birthday sometimes, but about that. And the subject of Antichrist has been a perennial topic since the day I was born again. In fact, when I first got saved, I was a part of a church that I thought they preached more about the Antichrist than they did Christ. And, and that happens, and it can happen. And that uh, as there, there are some times that I just feel to respond to something that I'm hearing in the atmosphere. And this is in terms of equipping. Some of this will be just foundation laying. Some of this, if you've been around and you've shared, you, you've taken, and I do recommend to you that you take some of the, the classes that we've shared about end times or eschatology, the last things. Because if there's fear in the air, how many of you turn on the news and the, the one of the top three words you would use is that it's fear mongering, right? There's be afraid of this, stay home because of that. And there's just a lot of fear being brought. And it's like we're trying to find stories to make sure that you stay fearful, stay afraid. And, um, and, and that's definitely in the air. There's no question about that. But I, with all things, you, you understand that we are the people of God are the head, not the tail. That we set the atmosphere, we set the tone. We set a tone of righteousness, peace, and joy in the nation and the, the neighborhood where we live, or we set an atmosphere of fear and unrighteousness and whatever else we could throw into the atmosphere. We determine really what a nation is like. That's what salt does. When you salt food, that food now tastes what it, like whatever that salt tastes like, which is like salt, right? That, that's what we do. And so if we're concerned about fear being in the air, then we should first turn and ask the Lord, have my words lent themselves to a spirit of fear or have my words lent themselves to imparting a spirit of love and power and soundness of mind? And of course, the words of our mouth come out of the abundance of the heart. So I want to talk to you about Antichrist and I want to tell you that everybody knows who the Antichrist is. All the, all the saints do anyway. All the saints know who the Antichrist is. And if you're waiting for me to name somebody, then you're new here. Because <laughs> I've survived about a dozen Antichrists since I've been saved. And, and, and there's some confusion about it. And that's why I want to kind of clear the air. And, and one of my favorite things to do, I'm going to get to do this today, is to commend Christ in you as already knowing something. That as, as I was sharing a couple of weeks ago about the emperor's new clothes and this whole thing where everybody starts saying things that are obviously untrue, we have a spirit of truth on the inside of us that knows what's true and knows what a lie is. And our problem is we have this tendency to then let our mind take over where our inner man already knows the truth. And it's always simple. It's always something a little child can understand. Like in the story, it's a little child who points out the obvious. The emperor is naked. And, and like a little child, Jesus said, you've got to be converted and become like a little child if you want to not, not just enter the kingdom of heaven, even see the kingdom of heaven. To see what's obvious right before us, to see what Christ, Jesus Christ is obviously doing in the world right now is going to take a little bit of humbling ourselves and becoming more like a child 
child and getting back to the simple way of viewing the world, the simplicity of the wisdom of Christ. When we overcomplicate things, uh, the, you, we are now beginning to eat from the wrong tree. You remember the two trees in the garden, the main ones that are named anyway. There are thousands of trees in the garden. They were all amazing. There's that tree of life from which Adam and Eve and all of us for all time could eat and live forever eating from that tree. And then there's the tree of what? The knowledge of good and evil. That's not just a random, hey, what should we call that one? There was an impartation that came to us from that tree where now we tend to overthink things. That's where all dead religion comes from. That's where all sin comes from. It's where all of our thinking that gets us in trouble. I read a really amazing book when I was in college, and I'll never forget. I wasn't saved yet, but I forget the title of it, but it was all about how intellectuals have ruined everything they get a hold of. Every, every philosophy, every like communism, Marxism, all the things that have come for all time, and it's not just then, it's back in the dark ages too. Intellectuals, when we think things and we don't involve God in our thinking, we end up ruining everything. And it's no different today. So we want to talk about Antichrist, but not to name it, not to try to say, well, who is it and who's it going to be? There, there's a mixture in our doctrine. Again, this is why I commend the teaching on the end times. I, I just did a very simple, let's just read what the Bible says. You come to your own conclusion about it, but we're only going to say what the word actually says and not try to speculate about things. And it's the speculation about who's the Antichrist. So we mix the Antichrist up with the man of law and the lawlessness from First Thessalonians and the beast and the dragon and all the whole cast of characters from the book of Revelation. But I want to tell you that Antichrist is something very different. All of those other characters, cast of characters in the Bible can have the spirit of Antichrist with them. But this one is much more, much more, um, I was going to use a fancy word, surreptitious, but now I can't think of a, a basic word for what was that. What's the definition? Help me out. English majors out there. Sur sneaky. It's sneaky, it, it creeps in unnoticed, it's deceptive, and it can be, and in fact, does always originate in the body of Christ. So John wrote about this. Did you know that the only place where the word Antichrist appears is in John's letters? All three of them, he names Antichrist. He's the only one that talks about the Antichrist. None of the other letters of Paul talks about it. Revelation doesn't name Antichrist, and there's a reason for that. It's because John, Pastor John, now writing to people he knew, was really concerned that they were being led astray from the simplicity of Christ and into things where they were feeling like maybe we don't even know the Lord or maybe Jesus was somebody different than what he was. And John wrote letters, and in all of his letters, he is making sure that those people know you already know Jesus. You don't need somebody to come in with another gospel and help you better understand Jesus. You met him. The moment we were born again, we had a living encounter with the living Jesus. And in a nutshell, and in a sense, that's all we ever needed. I love the Word of God, right? You, you all hopefully know that. We love the Word of God. I love the Scriptures. I love the way they just cancel out deception. I love how they provide like guardrails where if we start thinking, well, maybe God's like this and the Scripture says He's the opposite. Then we just humble ourselves and say, okay, God's right, I'm wrong, right? And that's, that's the value of the written Word of God. But John was writing to people that didn't have a Bible yet, at least not a New Covenant Scriptures part of the Bible yet. They were in the process of being written when John wrote these things. So all they had to go on in that day was the simplicity of, I heard a preacher, 
I gave my life to the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe that he died and rose again from the dead for me so that I could have eternal life. And all I know is that he is my Lord and he is my Savior and nothing about my life is ever going to be the same. And that's all they had to go on. And in a sense, part of me is a little bit envious of that. I mean, I love the scriptures. I love, again, the way that they balance out and they, they're like a guardrail against deception. They're a guardrail against going off and recreating our own Jesus, which is very common. And as you'll see in a moment, is exactly what the Antichrist is all about. They, they, they provide that. But if we ever get away from the simplicity of the value of relationship, that we are interacting with Christ. We're not learning about him. We're not just knowing him in our mind. But there's this interaction. There's this moment by moment, Christ in me, Christ sitting in heavenly places is having this ongoing communion. And I'm never outside of his presence. I always am with him. I can always ask him. That's the cure for every horrible situation. We're walking through the valley of the shadow of death. How do we do it? I'm not going to be afraid because you're with me. We stay with him. We keep him with us. And we stay aware of his presence. It's the answer to every single question. I remember before I was saved, I was always irritated with the song, Jesus is the Answer. You remember that old one? Jesus is the answer for the world today. See, now all the 50 and plus overs are shaking their heads. Part him, there's no other. Jesus is the way. And I remember Jesus is the answer. That phrase always bothered me because I didn't understand it. Yeah, we mean Jesus is the answer. What's the question? You know, it was kind of like that. Jesus is the answer. But now that I've known him, and now that I've walked to him, and I've read his word, and I've understood what he taught, he didn't say, as somebody shared in pre-service prayer, or maybe shared up here, I don't remember where we shared, somewhere earlier today, <laughs> we were reminded that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Not, I came to reveal the truth. I came to show the way. I came to pay a price so you could have life. He said, I am the, meaning I am the embodiment of all of those things. So there's nothing about our relationship with Christ. There's nothing about our walk with Christ. Nothing about our testimony in the world that ever originates in the mind. It originates out of a living, dynamic communion with the God of heaven and earth. That's where we live our life from. We live our lives by the strength and by the wisdom, by the, the power of another who lives in us. Amen? All right, so if you have your Bible, turn to 1 John, and let's be biblical now. Next time you hear somebody talk about the Antichrist, you'll remember what I'm sharing today and put it into a biblical context because I've had enough of every president. You know, the, the new Antichrist is named Joe Biden, and before that, the Antichrist was Donald Trump, and before that, the Antichrist was Barack Obama, and before that, you know, go on and on and on. Or it's the Secretary of the UN, or it's, you know, whatever, New World Order head, these people that beat in Davos, or, or wherever it is, and all of that. Look, we need to discern the times, we need to be wise, we need to know what the Lord is saying to do about those things. But I would suggest very strongly, in fact, I might be adamantly suggesting that to try to name names, to try to get off into that is nothing but a distraction, keeping us focused on Antichrist instead of manifesting Christ. All right, so First John will be in chapter 2, verse 18. Children, it is the last hour. And just as you heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have appeared. From this we know that it is the last hour. Now these words were written 2,000 years ago. How many, of you, how many of you have said it seems like God always shows up at the last minute? 
right? Do you know the truth of that? It's not that God shows up at the last minute. There's only one time where heaven and earth meet and it's called the appointed time. It feels like the last minute because anxiety crept in and we were anxiously waiting for the answer or for this thing to happen. Meanwhile, heaven had a time frame and things were working together for the good and then came the appointed time. So that's the truth about heavenly time. But man, we're talking about living in the last days. Well, 2,000 years ago, forget days, we're in the last hour. So I'm gonna leave it at that and let you think about that. (laughs) Or you're gonna have to listen to the end time series and understand what times is all about. But the point is that John acknowledged we've already seen the Antichrist. We know exactly what it looks like. We've met Christ, and, and John even says, that which we have seen, that which we have heard, what we have tasted of, what our hands have touched, this we share with you. In other words, John's like, we met the real Christ. We had dinner with him. We walked with him, we talked with him, we heard from him, and he gave us the Holy Spirit. He gave us everything that we share with you about Christ is experiential. We didn't learn it from somebody else. We experienced something. Even Saul, Paul Saul, who was not walking with Jesus, he was contrary to, even in direct opposition, he may have been one of the first antichrists that walked the earth trying to destroy the church. But even Paul taught, not things that he learned by reading the old covenant scriptures, he taught because the spirit of God breathed on him. He had an encounter with Jesus, got knocked off his high horse, and from that day onward was having living encounters with a living Jesus. And that's where half of the New Testament letters come from, is from Paul. Not written because he figured it out, but because he'd been walking with Jesus, because he'd been communing with Jesus, likely even taken up into heaven with Jesus, uh, as he kind of shares a little bit in 2 Corinthians, but I don't want to get into that. So many antichrists have appeared. The point is, it's a common thing. It's not one thing that we're looking for. This is a spirit that's embodied and uh, borrows the voice and authority of many people. So rather than trying to name who is the Antichrist, let's just learn how to be aware of what it is and what it looks like. What is the spirit of Antichrist? This is how John puts it in another section. So verse 19, first thing we learn about Antichrist, they went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they'd been of us, they would have remained with us, but they went out so that it would be shown that they are not of us. So people who manifest Antichrist, whose mouth is used by Antichrist to bring another gospel, which is part of what Antichrist means, that they began, their origin was with the church. They were with us, John said, but then they left. And that's how we know that they're not with us, that they're not representing Christ because they left the church, because they left us. They went off and did their own thing. They started their own movement or their own doctrine. They started sharing things that don't line up with the reality of Christ. That's what Antichrist is all about. So Antichrist, the word literally means a substitute for Christ. Anti means a substitute or instead of or an alternate Christ. That's what the word means. So when you say antichrist, you could say an alternative to Christ. Now it's anti, we usually think like anti means I am against. And in a sense, of course it is. Because it's opposing Jesus. It's getting in the way of Jesus gathering all things to himself. And it's presenting an option. Antichrist simply means here's another option for you. Or here's another version of Christ. 
that, that you could share. And you could, there are many of them. I bet they're already starting to pop up in your mind. There are so many antichrists, meaning here's another way, uh, another savior, another one who can be a messiah to you. Or here's what Jesus was really like. You know, you know that what would Jesus do movement? You remember that? Some of us did that. I think that was well-intentioned. Don't hear me slamming anything. What would Jesus do is a great pause for a minute. And it's good to stop and inquire of the Lord. Hey, what should I do right now? But what would Jesus do can make it seem like, well, let me just think about this for a minute. I'll maybe think of a few scriptures. I'll think of what I've learned, what I know about Jesus, and then I'll decide what Jesus would do in my situation right now. That's a, a good first step. But I would suggest to you that better than that, more complete than that, is to acknowledge, instead of saying, let me intellectualize it, let me say, Christ is in me right now, so what should I do? Rather than what would Jesus do, what is Christ in me communicating to me right now? Let me tap into the real dynamic of a living Jesus with whom I've had communion because I have been in prayer and I've been in the word and I've been living aware of his presence all of the time. And so now I have a ready guide on the inside who I can trust. I don't have to think about it or figure it out. I've got Christ in me, and I already know what's true because of that. So let me tap into the simplicity of that instead. So false Christs come in many forms, but, um, but the Antichrist masquerades as a savior and always finds its roots within the church. You know, the best deception is based on a partial truth. So dictators and people, uh, you know, conquerors and all kinds of other you know, evil uh, doers throughout the centuries have tried to use the name Jesus to justify what they're doing. You know, famously Adolf Hitler justified persecuting the Jews because they were Christ killers. And, and he, he used the Bible to justify, wooed a good portion, the Lutheran Church of Germany, along with him in that process by I mean, he had voices, he had people that were much more articulate than he was to convince people that this is a good godly thing to do. And Antichrist always begins with biblical truth, always begins with the simplicity of Christ, finds its way to use that name. And as I said to somebody I love recently, the, the problem is that we don't get to reimagine Jesus. We, the, the problem with Antichrist, the problem with what would Jesus do, or the problem with, you know, there, there's so many things that are being said these days about, well, what would love, you know, what would, that's not loving of you to say that. I just saw an interaction with Pastor Phil on Facebook that absolutely grieved me when I saw some of the responses that went down in the thread, and that's why I keep off of Facebook, and now I've remembered why, and I'm keeping off again. I don't want, you know, unless I'm going to be face to face with it, I don't want to know these things. But it was somebody reimagining what love looks like, meaning love never confronts, love never challenges something that's obviously untrue. And in this case, it was gender. Love never says anything because love just basically pampers and cuddles and says, "Don't worry, it's going to be okay." Well, how I many of you know? Even if you just did, what would Jesus do? He wasn't always like that. The real Jesus, I mean, the man Christ Jesus. He wasn't always like that. Dude told some guy that wanted to follow him, and the guy said, hey, I, my dad just died. I really want to follow you, but can I go to the funeral first and then follow you? Jesus, love incarnate in that situation for an unknown reason, said, let the dead bury their own dead. You need to follow me. 
There must have been something pretty major going on for Jesus to say that, but he did. Told the rich young ruler, yeah, you want to follow me? You got to sell everything you got. Anything less than that won't do. And the guy walked away, and Jesus loved him when he said that, and the guy walked away. So Jesus is like that. He challenges, love challenges Jesus, actual Christ, not reimagined Christ, where it's non-confrontational, where we never dig in and say, there is a gospel, and yeah, God is love, but it also involves repentance. You're going to have to change. You're going to have to bow before the Lord. You're going to have to say, I am not the God of my life. That's what the basic repentance of salvation means. I am not the God of my life. The God of heaven and earth who created me will be my Lord and he'll be my savior. That's what salvation's all about. So the Antichrist masquerades as a Christian or masquerades, takes on some form of godliness denying the power thereof. So we'll use the Bible to justify abortion. This is what really, this is when this word started birthing in me. I saw a montage of pastors, and I'm not just talking about, you know, whatever, liberal denomination. I mean, like evangelical pastors that were justifying abortion by the scriptures. One of them just flat out said, well, I believe that God uh, gave a woman wisdom and she knows what's right for her body. This was a Bible-preaching evangelical, or it used to be anyway. And, and that's when things started rising up in me. And that's when I realized, you know what, that is antichrist. That is an antichrist. I'll reimagine Jesus so that he always agrees with me. Do you know that if we have a God who always agrees with us, we no longer have God. We, we become our own God. We're pagans now. If we create God after our image, that is what paganism is. And you can do it with Jesus too. We can reimagine Christ to be something that he is not. We, we learn about Jesus from the people who walked with him, the people who learned from him. The, the reason why we know his name is Jesus Christ is because the people who walked with him and learned from him wrote it down for all the ages. That's how we know. So we don't get to reimagine. The teachings of an antichrist might find its origin in biblical truth, but, but an antichrist only uses the word as a platform to claim that he or she is acting on God's behalf. So we'll make unrighteousness sound like righteousness. We'll make evil sound good. That's what antichrist does. It's a really clever, deceptive spirit. I, I read a book. I was just talking with a friend a few days ago. It might have been one of you. I don't remember. Boy, it was a drag getting old. I'll tell you what. <laughs> about how Adolf Hitler, how the Nazis managed to flip an entire nation of otherwise very intelligent people. I mean, this is just a century, less than a century ago. I mean, you, you think of Germany, you're thinking Albert Einstein, right? You're thinking some of the great inventors and scientists and even thinkers that, that have made, that have changed the world. How did a nation so intelligent get flipped to do such evil? I mean, in that time, unprecedented. Communism afterward would do even worse. Or communism during that whole century did far worse. Uh, like Adolf Hitler's fever dream, the Stalinites and the Leninites, they, they did it. The communists killed 100 million people. Adolf Hitler only made it to 6 or 8 million. Anyway, they, they begin and claim that they're acting on God's behalf. That's what Antichrist looks like. So we've got to be wise, we've got to be discerning, and biblical wisdom begins with the simplicity of truth. So he goes on. Verse 20, John says, but you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you all know. 
This is where I got the title for the message, which is Amber Will Testify is a Rare Thing. That I actually get a title, I come up with a title for it. You all know who the Antichrist is? It's right there in the scriptures. Right in the middle of explaining Antichrist, John pauses for a moment to say, hey, by the way, I'm not writing to you because you don't know. I've not written to you, he goes on to say, because you don't know the truth, but because you do know the truth and because no lie is of the truth. In other words, John's saying, I'm writing this scripture. I don't know if John knew he was writing scripture at the time or if he was just writing a letter to friends by the anointing of the Spirit, of course. But he was saying, look, guys, I'm not writing to you to correct something. I'm writing to put you in remembrance of something. You already know the truth. It's in you. It's embodied on the inside of you. You have an anointing on the inside of you. You have Christ in you. You do know the truth. You don't need somebody. You know the promise of the old covenant given in Jeremiah 31. No longer shall a man teach his neighbor or every man his brother saying, know the Lord. For all will know me from the least to the greatest of them. Everybody's going to know me. You're not going to need a teacher. If there's teaching, there is a room for a gift of teaching in the body of Christ. It's to do what John said he was doing, to remind us, to remind the body of Christ. My role in your life and anybody who fills this pulpit is to put you in remembrance of what Christ in you already knows. Whatever I could say or whatever any preacher could say, Christ in you already knew that. Did you know that? You already knew everything any preacher has ever said to you. It just didn't make its way from Christ in you to the mind yet. And that's the gift of teaching is to draw out what you already know so that now your mind can understand it because now you're able to think those kind of thoughts, think heavenly thoughts. Our mind gets renewed. That's what biblical teaching should be all about. Not to tell you what to think, but to remind you that Christ in you is a genius. He knows everything. He already knows, and Christ in you can recognize deception, can recognize a lie, if we're willing to pause and live our life in such a way that we're tuned into it. So discerning an antichrist is as simple as keeping to simple biblical truth. This is where we get off every time. It's keeping to simple biblical truth. What the Word says is always true all the time. It's, it's easy to read. Yes, there are parts that are a little confusing only because we live in a foreign culture two millennia after the scriptures were written. That's the only thing that makes the word of God complicated or difficult to understand. And that's where good Bible study comes in. It comes in to help us understand the fancy word is the context. What did it mean to the people that received it in the first place? That's the beginning of understanding. Because we also can't just take the scriptures and make them mean whatever we want them to mean right? We believe something, so we're going to go prove it. I'm going to find it in the scriptures somewhere, and boy, do you get some really wild, twisty stuff. Every once in a while, just for kicks, to, to either, to, mainly to learn what's being taught, but sometimes just because, I don't know, I like to get irritated. <laughs> you know how when you get a canker sore in your mouth, you can't keep your tongue from rubbing on even though it hurts? You know what I'm talking about? Don't look at me weird like that. You all do it. I know you do. It's kind of like that. So every once in a while, I want to hear the arguments of those who say the Holy Spirit's gifts ended at the end of the first century. I want to know biblically, why do you teach that? Why are you so adamant about it to the point of even saying, well, tongues are of the devil? Like, wow, that is really intense. How did you come to that conclusion? So I'll go watch and I'll go listen. And man, otherwise really grounded, good biblical teachers on that subject, among others, they just lose their minds. Like you violate every good thing that I love about your biblical teaching. It's like you throw it all out the window. What is up with that? Who offended you? 
That's usually the route. Where did somebody do some wacky thing? There's one teacher who I will not name who, who starts his teaching on the subject with some excess that he saw in a conference that he went to. Does that ever happen? You can say, yeah, of course it does. We call it wildfire. When the fire of the Lord comes, it's real, it's enduring, it lasts, it changes lives. The thing that happened like Toronto, most famous outpouring of the 20th century, amazing things were going on. I mean, people saved by the tens of thousands coming alive to God. People like Heidi Baker's ministry came out of that. Was there wildfire? You betcha, there was some weird stuff going on. Randy, you gotta hear Randy Clark tell the stories because he tells them better than anybody. Of you know, just emotional excess and emotions getting mixed in with the genuine anointing. Of course it happens, but that's no reason to reject what the word clearly says and you can't remove. I mean, you gotta tear entire chapters out of the scripture to ignore gifts being perpetuated and being used to build up the body of Christ for all time. So that's just to say the spirit of Antichrist um, gets us away from the simplicity of just saying, okay, I see it in the word, I understand it. I may not like it. If you ever read a scripture and you don't like it? There's a lot I don't like or didn't like. Uh, now I'm growing to like it, growing to love it. I didn't like that it told me I couldn't do that anymore when I was new in Christ. I didn't like sometimes that it was finding me out of things that I thought were so good about me and only to find out that, nah, that's just pride. No, this is whatever, you know, and, and I don't like that. I don't like it any more than I like going to the dentist, but I like what happens afterward, man. It's not like that tooth's not pounding in my head anymore, and it feels great afterward. I like it the way we like a good, you know, if you have a, I've never had a fitness trainer. I don't know why I'm using this analogy, <laughs> but uh, like a fitness coach, obviously, it's the fitness coach, and they're beating, they're making you beat up your body, but afterward, after the fruits of it come months later, you're thankful for the pain you went through. Billy yesterday running like a thousand miles race how far was it what did you run like 100k who runs 100k <laughs> Billy was running 100k and in the middle of it he's posted on Facebook I'm like what kind of a machine are you you're superhuman he's posting in the middle of 100k like 100k my time would be measured in days and years or something like that to finish the race he posted his time like Man, that's just intense. But, you know, you're beating on your body. You're pressing through because afterwards you like what happens. That's what the word of God ought to do. And keeping simple, just keep it with a simple biblical truth. The main problem we have, and I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, is that most of us don't engage in reading the simple biblical truth. For the sake of maybe one or two scriptures, we're like, what does that mean? Like, oh, can I tell you one I've still got? Paul said something about being baptized for the dead. In 1 Corinthians. I have no idea what that means. Neither does anybody who's teaching about it, by the way, because it doesn't say. It's a weird thing to say, 1 Corinthians 15. I don't know why he put that in there, because it's so confusing. It bothers me. But, you know, that's one verse. The rest of the chapter, if by the end of it there's not a shout in your spirit about the resurrection, I will personally come and perform CPR. <laughs> so, biblical truth. If it can't be found in Jesus then it didn't come from Jesus. That's just a simple thing. If it can't be found in Jesus, so in the character and person of Jesus, in the written word, you know, if, if Jesus is the word made flesh, I love how Bill Johnson put it, then this is Jesus in print, right? 
So getting to know it, marinating in it to the point where it just really, we, we understand it with our spirit, we understand it with our inner man, then there's instantly, when we hear something, even if it's just a little bit untrue, all of a sudden something in us is, I don't know about that. We're, we're healthily skeptical of the things that we hear. I remember a, a guy I was sharing, uh, used to be a counterfeit police officer, and now we use machines for the new kind of bills we have. But back in the day, he shared about how they would study. The most common bill to counterfeit's always been a $20 bill. Because a hundred dollar bill, you're a little bit more suspect of. Twenties are about the right size. Just get a whole bunch of them in circulation. They're rarely are known. So he was describing how the re- the way the counterfeit police would be able to spot a counterfeit bill was not to study all the counterfeit techniques. It was to study every single thing on that twenty-dollar bill, so they could about draw it themselves. The wing of the eagle on the top over here, the size circle compared to the rest of the bill. They would know every nuance of that $20 bill. And a really good counterfeit police officer, they could open up a 20 and within seconds say that's a fake. And that's how they were tested. So it is with the word of God. The more we study it, the more we ingrain ourselves, marinated in the the simplicity, the simple truths of the word, the easier it is to to spot deception when it comes. So when Christ is reduced to an intellectual exercise rather than a living dynamic relationship, we just open ourselves to the spirit of Antichrist. Even just reading the word alone is not enough because Antichrist knows how to use the scriptures. He knows how to use the word of God against God's people. He's been using it to deceive God's people since God started writing. Since the Garden of Eden, he's been using even the very words God said, twisting them and deceiving us to follow after him instead of following after the Lord. So let's move down the chapter a little bit in 1 John 2. As for you, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. In other words, just let it sit. Abide means I don't just visit with it. Abide means I live in this place. I'm settled in it. It is always with me. This is, where, this is home for me. This is like home base. This, this is where I go at night. This is where I sleep. This is where I wake up. This is where I live. Let the word, the, the things that we've heard abide in us that you heard from the beginning. I really, uh, I want to urge all of us again. Stay in touch with your testimony. Stay in touch with that moment that you first knew because there was something, you know, I've heard some gospel messages. I I used to watch Billy Graham a lot to learn how to preach. And I wanted to know, how does he do it? What does he say that makes like everybody in the stadium come down to the front? And I was fascinated with it because the simplicity of the message. It was just simple salvation. It was nothing fancy about it. I mean, he was a great communicator, don't get me wrong, but there wasn't anything profound like, wow, I've never heard that before. He just shared the simplicity of it. And people responded by the millions to that word and all the evangelists. It's always this simple gospel message. And we get away from that. We start overcomplicating it. We make an intellectual Jesus who makes sense in our mind that we've lost the mystery. We've lost all of what it was. And that moment, you know, I, I when I went forward from, to give my heart to the Lord, it was the prodigal son and the preacher was preaching a pretty simple message. But something came alive on the inside of me. And I might have preached the prodigal son 20 times since the day I first heard it preached to me. But there was something that happened in that moment where my inner man connected. The anointing came in and said, yeah, that is true. What that man's saying is the truth. And it's time for you to give your life in response to that. We should never move away from the simplicity of that moment of encounter. The first time. 
Every encounter with Christ after the first one is built on what happened in that moment. We never graduate away from the need to have living encounters with a living Jesus. We never grow to a place where, okay, thanks for the start, now I'm gonna get you figured out by reading your word, or I'm gonna get you figured out by talking to my friends, or by watching YouTube or TikTok. I'm not gonna, I'm gonna grow in my understanding now apart from you. We never grow in our understanding apart from Christ in us. So it goes on, this is the promise which he himself has made to us and it's eternal life. Here's something else about the spirit of Antichrist and the message of Antichrist, that the, the promises of salvation, okay, the promise of deliverance, the promise to be made free of something, the salvation offered by an Antichrist is always temporal. It's never, it's never got something that survives the grave because there's only one who can promise anything beyond the grave and that's the one who went in the grave and came back again the only human being who's ever done that at least permanently he's the only one that promises eternal life all the other saviors you know adolf hitler well, let's stick with him most easily readily accessible one he called himself what the fuhrer the father i will be a messiah to you and rescue germany from the pit of its recession and all of its ills and i will be the one to lead us into the the third reich the glorious days of germany will be restored and i will be the one to lead you in that way and all he could ever promise was a healthy prosperous nation an empire that would rule the world antichrist can only ever promise something that's for now and that's one of the ways of beginning to identify. If we put our hope, hang our hope, and hang any promise of rescue on somebody who's only promising us a temporary thing, just start paying attention and be really careful because we are prone to it too. Anybody else get all electioned out? Another four years, another president who's going to save the day. And I am all for having somebody in that Oval Office who loves God and who is wise and strong and capable of leading and capable of not being lawless about governing the nation but honoring the Constitution. I'm all for it. We all are. But let's never once hang our hopes on that because that can become an antichrist. That's a substitute for Christ. It's a substitute. We're not here to build the kingdom of the United States. We're here to build the kingdom of heaven within the United States. I, for one, would love to keep it the United States. I don't want to live anywhere else. I've been a few places. I love it here. I love what we got. I don't want to lose it. But that's not what the hope's hanging on. We're not hanging on any person. No man, woman, or, or well, I was going to say child. A little child shall lead them, you know, was not a compliment. It happens. Not hanging our hopes in that place. That's where Antichrist can come in and start being deceptive and start ruining our attention. And instead of building the kingdom of heaven now, I don't know about you, but I've done it. We've wasted a lot of time trying to build something that wasn't what Jesus was up to in the moment. Promise of rescue from an issue that intentionally leaves God out of the equation is from an Antichrist spirit, no matter how good the cause is. So, how do we know the Antichrist is at work? Jesus is not a part of the picture anymore. Jesus could be left out. I've asked you one of the soul-searching questions I do for myself is to ask, if Jesus was removed from my life today, what would be different about my day tomorrow? And if the answer is not much or nothing at all, then we're not in a good place. 
It means we're not abiding in him. We're not really walking with him. We're not as dependent on him as we are the air that we breathe. It's not a good place to be. So that's a, hey, let's return to the Lord kind of moment if the answer is ever not, to, not that much. But the same thing can happen on a, big, on a bigger level. If Jesus isn't involved in it, let's use medicine, for example. I love modern medicine. Our firstborn son, I give credit to the Lord for the miracle that he survived being 16 weeks premature. And also thank God for the wisdom those doctors had on how to preserve his body and how to help him not have a lot of the conditions he could have had. He should be blind. He should have cerebral palsy. He should have all kinds of conditions before that. But I thank God for the doctors too. And I th- we thanked them. The, the one doctor that was his primary care doctor, we stayed in touch for many years afterward to show her his growth as he went. We thank God for that. But it didn't become a replacement for the miraculous power of Christ. Rather, the two were working together because we kept Christ in the mix. Does that make sense? So there's nothing wrong with medicine. I know there's some movements that, that maybe we, we've been connected to that just believe no medicine at all. I don't mean that we've ever preached that here. Don't hear what I'm not saying. I don't mean that we've, I mean, some of the people that we love that are preachers maybe have gone off a little bit in that. No doctors, no medicine. That, that is not the Lord. Doctors in medicine, without ever involving Jesus in the mix, that can become an antichrist. It's almost like we can say because of our scientific discoveries, because of what we've learned now, okay, God, we don't need you anymore. We, we can do this without you. We could do life without you. We figured out how to extend life. You know, medicine and healthy living may extend our lifespan back up to 120 years. We're pushing closer and closer every year. I believe it's part that the kingdom is coming and part of the kingdom coming is that medicine and healthy living has really made us live longer. Lifespans up 30 years since the start of the 20th century. Did you know that? Yet more proof the kingdom of heaven's at hand. It's good. That's a good thing. But without the Lord in it, it becomes like these, uh, you ever hear the one about the scientists who went to God and they say, hey, we don't need you anymore because uh, we figured out how to make life from dirt. All we need is a clump of dirt right now and we can create organisms and we figured out how to make evolution happen from the clump of dirt. And God said, okay, yeah, show me. So they got the clump of dirt and God said, well, well, hold on, get your own dirt. Anyway, that's just one of those old creationist jokes. But get your own dirt. Anytime that we say we don't need God anymore, whether it's in our personal walk with him, that we don't need to abide in him, a prayerless life is communicating, I don't really need you anymore. I can do life without you right now. That's when the spirit of Antichrist can come in and we find substitutes to meet what only Jesus can really completely give. So moving on, these things I've written to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. As for you, the anointing which you receive from him abides in you and you have no need for anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things and is true and is not a lie, just as it has taught you, you abide in him. So what's the secret of being immune from any spirit of antichrist, from being drawn away from the simplicity of Christ is to abide in that anointing. Any truth that creates a so-called truth that creates a desire to pull away from Christ or his people, that's from an antichrist. 
So anything we hear, this is one way of knowing that Antichrist is operating in the moment. If we hear something, whether it's through a friend or through some, you know, whatever media we're listening to or watching, and our, our inside reaction is to make us pull back a little bit from the simplicity of Christ, be careful, that's how Antichrist begins. That's what the Spirit's all about. I no longer care about whether I'm abiding in Christ because I've just learned something that's pulling my heart away. And because it's pulling my heart away from Christ, it's also pulling my heart away from wanting to be around those Jesus freaks that I used to hang out with. Because that's all they want to talk about is Jesus Christ. And, and he's like, it's almost like he's the center of their world. And if it makes you want to pull away, that is the spirit of Antichrist. As it was in the garden, the original Antichrist, of course, is the serpent in the garden. What was the first thing that happened when he began to speak and weave his web of deception? Adam and Eve doubted God's goodness for the first time. Never had reason to question it till that deceiver came along. That was the origin of the Antichrist spirit. I'm going to pull you away from the Father. I'm going to separate you from your connection with him, and then I'll have you, and then we'll go and do something else. So let's talk a little bit more then. Who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is um, the Christ? This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father, but the one who confesses the Son has the Father also. So first simple thing, and John was dealing with some specific teachings going around in his day, which I won't take the time to lay out right now, but suffice to say that anything that changes what we know to be the nature and character of Christ is from Antichrist. And Antichrist changes the nature of Jesus into one of two major categories. The first one is that Jesus was a man, but not God incarnate. We could call that maybe the intellectual Jesus. He was a good teacher. He was a good philosopher. He, you know, he and Buddha and Confucius, I almost said Copernicus, but it was Confucius is the Chinese, right? Not Copernicus was the astronomer, right? Uh, you know, we got Muhammad and, and Jesus fits in within all of them. So he's just another speaker, another teacher of good morality. That's the intellectual Jesus. That's one spirit of Antichrist. No, minimize Jesus not to be who he was, but just another good teacher. Follow his word, follow his teachings. Yeah, Sermon on the Mount, that'd be great. Let's live that way. But Jesus not being Lord of all. No, 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 not that. The second extreme, which is on the opposite end, is that Jesus was only God. He wasn't human. He wasn't called Jesus of Nazareth, in other words. Jesus was this, um, or Christ was this spirit. And, And they used to teach this, actually, that Jesus wasn't actually a real human. He was like a phantom. He looked like a human, but really he was a God, and, you know, he didn't have a flesh body. That was one of the early heresies and deceptions going on. So that's a cosmic Christ. Well, let's break down why that's wrong in just a minute here, but just a couple more things John said about Antichrist. Beloved, don't believe every spirit. Test the spirit. See whether they're from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist of which you've heard that is coming and now is already in the world. So again, here we are 2,000 years ago. This is what was happening. Many deceivers have gone out into the world. Those who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is the deceiver and the Antichrist. So Jesus didn't come in the flesh. Why is that such a big deal? 
Why is this, why did Jesus have to have a flesh body? Why is that so important? Why is it so important? Isn't it just the idea that, you know, Jesus taught great things and gave us the Holy Spirit and gives us life in that more abundantly? Why did he have to be a, a real human being? Why is that so important? Well, if there's no humans, if there's no sacrifice for sin, then there's no forgiveness of sin. That's the whole book of Hebrews right there. He had to come in a body. A body had to be given to the Son of God so that he could offer it as a sacrifice to pay the price of death for everyone else who deserved death. Antichrist denies the humanity of Jesus and spiritualizes the concept of Christ without acknowledging his name. And here's where it comes down to, and this is always the case. You can talk about God. You could even talk about Christ in some circles. Have you noticed that? You could talk about Christ with pagans. You could talk about Christ. And, and there's this term I learned in college called the cosmic Christ. That was part of the pagan you know, whatever, belief systems, and, and he's just an idea or a concept, and he's a spirit which, you know, we can mend and bore or bend and morph into whatever we want him to be. But it's something about when you say the name Jesus, where you find out what Jesus said, I've come not to bring peace but a sword. That name Jesus is a dividing line. As soon as you begin to talk about Jesus, depending on what you're dialoguing with, who you're talking to, and what's in the atmosphere of that conversation, that becomes a moment. That becomes a moment when you're, you're known as the Jesus freak at work, or you're known as, you know, whatever, or you're known as, hey, let, let's see what this guy's got. It's the name Jesus. No one can ever embody Messiah but the man, Jesus of Nazareth. He was a real human being who walked the earth. He was real flesh and blood. He has a story they're told in the Gospels, and his life was the beginning, not of a new religion. He was the embodiment of everything that we were ever made to be. He was the man Christ Jesus. That's what separates. What separates the man Christ Jesus from all the other poets and philosophers and, and other starters of religions is that he was the fullness of God in bodily form. That's the fullness of Christ. Anything that gets off into some other kind of teaching, that's an antichrist. That is not the real deal, Jesus. That's just now you're starting to use your mind and create a new God. First Timothy 2.5, there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. Not just the eternal son at the throne. He became embodied. He took on flesh and blood. He taught, he lived, breathed, and then he died on a cross. The man, Christ Jesus. That'll never change. If it's only to be embodied in the man, Christ Jesus, then there's no other body for that man to take on. There is no new savior to come about. In the first century, there were people going around claiming they'd rejected Jesus as Messiah, claiming then to be Messiah. One of them famously gathered all the Jews together to make a last stand in the temple in Jerusalem in 70 AD before uh, the Romans were laying siege to it. He was an antichrist. He gathered everybody, said, I'm a Messiah. I'm gonna deliver us as in the days of old. And thousands of people were burned alive with him in the temple when the Romans finally came in and sacked it. He was one of the false messiahs. There's only one body that Christ will ever take on, and that is Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Now we are his body, this is new covenant, this is after the fact, but there is no other one person that will ever embody the fullness of the Godhead in human form but Jesus of Nazareth. Romans 5.15 says it like this, the free gift is not like the transgression, for if by the transgression of the one, that being Adam, so Adam sinned, he brought 
judgment into the world. He opened the door for evil. He told the serpent in the garden, come on in. You can be a part of this community. We'll, we'll serve you. We'll have fellowship with each other. Adam opened the door for every evil thing that, that happened after that day. So by one man, one human, the authority given, right, to rule over all the works of God's hands embodied in that one man named Adam in the Garden of Eden. By that one man's transgression, many died, but much more, this is one of the much mores of, of Romans, one of my favorite moments when things, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Christ Jesus, Jesus Christ, will abound to the many. It took one man, the embodiment of Messiah, to undo what the original first man did to bring all evil into the world. So there's only one name given by which we can be saved. He's the same yesterday. He's the same today. He's the same forever. So now you know. Don't worry about some antichrist rising up at the UN in the Oval Office or in any nation of any earth. There are going to be all kinds of crazy things that are going to happen until the day the Lord returns. There will be a battle for the soul of every nation from now until the day he comes after we've placed all things at his feet. There is going to be that. But don't be deceived by a spirit of deception to draw our attention away. Instead, let's be wise. Let's be discerning. Let's be those who go out and are wise and discerning about that is not what the real deal Jesus is like. We first begin by knowing what he's really like, by consuming his word. I hope you're feeding your spirit well on the word of God and that on the inside of you, you're having communion in that place so that you'll spot the deception the moment it's said. Then, then we'll pray. And actually, let me just pray this now. Can we all stand together? I'm gonna pray this now because then... I'm going to believe God that we'll have the wisdom in those moments to explain the truth, to share the truth in the gentleness and the meekness of wisdom, in the simplicity of Christ. It, it's, it's so hard not to get caught up in the argumentative spirit and to be angry when our Jesus is misrepresented, right? Anybody else with me with that? It, it can be difficult. I get angry. I get agitated when somebody changes Jesus to be something that he's not. And all the, that spirit of antichrist, let me give you an alternative to the simple belief that you have or the simple-minded, you know, whatever, old school, old religious belief you have. No, Jesus is still the same as he was when he walked the earth. He's the same today. He's the same forever. He'll never change. So, Father, we pray that you would give us a liberal dose of wisdom to be able to share the reality, the real Christ, first by the example of our life, by the anointing that's in us, by working signs and wonders and miracles by working the greatest miracle of all, which is the miracle of salvation, that out of our mouth the power of God will come unto salvation and people will come and turn and give their life over to the real one true God. We pray also that you would articulate, make, make our mouth the, the learned tongue of a disciple that we'd be able to share truth in such a way that it causes those who are under the spell of an antichrist to pause in their steps and to stop in their tracks and say, now hang on a second. There's something about what you're saying that's touching something deep on the inside of me. Would you anoint? In fact, why don't you lay hands on your lips for a second? Would you anoint our lips with wise words that could not be gainsaid? That means argued with. Give us such a word that it would be a moment that silence would enter the room because the Prince of Peace was just manifest through the word of our mouth. There'd be no more arguing. There'd be an end to it. 
I pray it would be one of those moments where, where we just have those that are dumbfounded because the presence of God has just come, because truth has been spoken, because Christ in us, out of the abundance of our heart, has just spilled out of our mouth. May we see many salvations and many people whose lies get torn down right before our eyes as that spirit that's blinded them now gets torn away and they're open and available to see the truth of who you really are, the one Lord Jesus Christ. Send us out from this place today rejoicing and going to bring good news, good news everywhere we go. Amen. Amen. Praise God. I love you guys. Have an awesome week in Jesus. I'll see you around.